in Psalm 9, excuse me, Psalm 34, um, David wrote a song. Uh, he wrote this song when his own son was persecuting him and chasing him and trying to, to kill him in order to take the throne. And uh, he proclaims the goodness of God and what God has done in his life, and, uh, and he sings that to others. Uh, I'd like to, we'll look at it a little bit later on as we come to First Peter, but at the beginning of this psalm, he says, I will bless Yahweh at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in Yahweh. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify Yahweh with me, and let us exalt his name together. Uh, from time to time, it's really good for us to hear how God is working in our life, how God has worked in our lives, and, and, and the good work that God has done for us and to us and, and with us. And uh, this morning, Dale Reed is prepared just to share his testimony, and he's going to come and just share his story and the goodness of our God. And so uh, we're going to re- just take some time to rejoice, look to the goodness of God, and I'm going to ask Dale if you come forward and share with us during this time. So, again, we never really went to church. 
when Mindy and I got married, um, again, we never went to church. She belonged up to UCC Church in Wheatland. We'd go up there for Christmas and see some other, you know, uh, times of the year. But as I was growing up, my youth to young adulthood to marriage, uh, matter of fact, I would wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, basically screaming. And it was the fear I had of death. Because everything that I thought of, you know, my hunting, my fishing, my sports, whatever it is, this is what I'm living for. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night in this cold sweat, and I'm like, when I die, what's going to happen? All that stuff's going to be gone. I'm going to be in a box in the ground, and it would wake me up in the middle of the night. And it was when Mindy uh, took Wyatt to Awanas. And Cindy, you'll appreciate this. Uh, when, she, when Mindy said, um, I'm taking to Awanas, I'm like, what's Iguanas? You know, I thought it was, <laughs> no idea what it was. But Mindy started taking uh, Wyatt to Awanas. And then she also was starting to go to a, um, a Bible study. They had a small, uh, small book study, um, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. So she went there a few times, and I became a little jealous. I'm like, man, here's another night of the week. They're gone. I'm stuck home by myself. And I think it was one Wednesday night. She was getting ready to leave. I'm like, well, can I go with you? And I think she kind of freaked out a little bit. She was like, I can't believe I actually want to go. Um, but I went, um, listened, and it was that night that I came home for the first time in my life, and I prayed for Jesus coming to my life. And from that night forward, no more nightmares, no more waking up in a cold sweat, anything like that. I'm at peace with that. Um, I don't want to say I look forward to that, that day, but I know that whatever heaven has in store for me when I get there is much better than what we have here today. <clears throat> Um, so along the way, you know, your, your spiritual growth, as we always talk about, um, there's peaks and valleys. There's been many men in my life that has helped me up that peak. Um, Andy Anderson, Sam Hewitt, Mark Hartbeck. Um, that was the first Bible study that we uh, belonged to. And those three men helped a lot in my spiritual growth. Uh, later on, it was Gary, uh, Bruce. Um, when we had our um, small group, our accountability partners, as we would call it as well. Um, in fact, one of the last meetings um, that we had with Gary, Bruce, and myself uh, before Bruce's passing was, what kind of legacy will you leave? Who's going to remember you, what you do after you die? And um, when I look back at those men, you know, I am their legacy. And I guess the question I have is, what legacy am I going to leave behind uh, for someone else out there, uh, either in the church body or, you know, down at the high school where I coach, things like that, my kids. Um, who's going to be that person that I'm going to affect? Um, as I said, um, the journey's been full of peaks and valleys. When I'm at the peak, when I'm at the top of the game, you have those accountability partners, okay? When I'm down in that valley, um, we either stepped away or uh, we're not meeting, things like that, and that's all on me, okay? But my encouragement to you is to get into an accountability group 
so that you can also get up to that peak uh, that you have. A couple of verses um, that I just wanted to share that's kind of been, um, you know, important in my life, and it goes back to Matt, you know, handing out those little cards that we would, you know, memorize, things like that. First uh, John 5, 11, 12, and this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life. When his wife is his son, whoever has a son, you know, has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Um, the other one is, and I write this on all the birthday cards at work and things like that, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Um, and that is, you know, <coughs> pardon me, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own temptation. You know, believe in him, and then he will um, make your ways uh, straight. Um, I believe that the Holy Spirit works in you through various ways. You know, that one book we did um, when we went up to Minnesota to do the men's retreat, Gary and Bruce and I did it with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in me. I, I am the one that has to listen to that Holy Spirit to figure out who I need to talk to, what I need to do um, each and every day. Um, so the last thing I want to end is uh, we also did a men's group um, on Saturday morning, and it was a book by Tony Evans, Kingdom Man great book um, and before that I can affect change in my community I got to affect it with me first then my family then my neighborhoods then my school you know then so forth so on so I have to affect and make sure that I am in God's way God's word talking to him each and every day so the last thing again I just want to end with is if you don't have an accountability partner please make sure you get with someone because um, they are by far uh, the best way that you're going to grow your, your spiritual life. Thank you. Scripture reading for today is 1 Peter 1, 22 through 2, 3. Having purified your souls by, by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Um, the sign up upstairs, uh, there's actually a list of phone numbers for the ladies' ministry, and so if you're interested in being a part of one of those small groups, that uh, those accountability groups that Dale talked about, we're working on discipleship and doing one-on-one -on -one life together. Uh, the list of ladies upstairs is those that said they would be willing to help out with that, and so don't put your name on the list, but you can call one of those ladies that's on that, and they would be glad to be a part of that. If the kids want to go with Miss Cindy today, they're going to head into the back and have children's church together. If you would turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, our text begins in verse 22, 
and we will investigate a section that extends all the way to chapter 2, verse 3, which Anna just read for us this morning. You know, it's, it's important to understand that when Peter wrote this letter, um, he did not add chapter and verse headings within the text. So all the little numbers that you have in your Bible, uh, those weren't there when Peter wrote that. In fact, they weren't there in any of the books of the Bible. And none of the books of the Bible had these divisions, which we use uh, today until sometime around 1200 A.D. So, so there have been more people during church history that um, have read their Bibles without those verses and chapters than those that those of us that have. Um, as helpful it is, is to have a, an address, kind of makes us makes it easier, doesn't it? You're looking for something, we all want to turn to the same page. Um, it's nice to say, turn to First Peter chapter one, verse twenty-two, and we all go to the same place. Uh, but it's important that we recognize that those those uh, numbers weren't inspired by the Holy Spirit. And from time to time, we come to a passage where where those chapter divisions were really put in a horrible place. It was the Archbishop of Canterbury that that was uh, the first person that created those chapter headings. And today is one of those places where w- the chapter division was put in a place where. If you stop there, you miss the whole idea of what Peter's trying to say in this section. And so we're going to continue all the way to verse 3. Before we explore, allow me to refresh our memory regarding what Peter is discussing with these elect exiles. Peter started with a beautiful song of praise in in this epistle, reminding us that we have a song to sing. He reminds us of the, in the midst of various kinds of trials, that, that we have been born again because God caused it to happen. And this same God guards our inheritance and guards our future glory. And we have a song to sing because we have experienced a fullness of salvation that the prophets anticipated and of which the angels longed to catch a glimpse. This led Peter to his first command. He, he said we must set our hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when Jesus Christ appears from heaven. With our gaze focused on the return of our Savior and our conduct being shaped by the truth that our God is holy and our God is an impartial judge, our conduct of holiness must be fully saturated with the hope of his return. As we saw last week, hope soaks the soul and it saturates the mind. And so when our blessed hope is before our eyes, then holiness will be our standard. And when hope is before you, you will learn to live in reverence during your stay on this side of heaven. And Peter's going to build on that today. Rooted in hope, Peter's going to show us the outworking of this holy conduct in one of the most critical arenas of the Christian life. A part of the Christian life that every single one of us are engaged in. And it's a part of our holy conduct. And that arena is the family of God. Your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And so let's ask God, God's Spirit uh, as we go to the text today to illuminate our minds as we study what he's inspired and revealed to us. Let's pray with me. Pray, please. The Holy Spirit. Please help us to understand the text that's before us today. You are the, the perfect exegete, and we need your light to help us poor exegetes stay out of trouble. I need your help today. Help us not only to understand your word, 
but help us to understand ourselves. We ask for your help today. We ask you to beautify the bride of Christ. Please wash us. Please use your word to sanctify us. We need your help so that we can more clearly reflect the glory of Christ. Spirit, please also encourage your people. Show us our sin, but also remind us of our standing. Lord, we know that we have a long way to go, but we also know that we've already arrived. And so have your way with us and impart your perfect illumination as we come to your word today. Amen. Again, rooted in hope and called to holiness, we discover one of the greatest arenas where this is worked out. And it's our love for our brother and sister in Christ. I want you to understand this. If you have been chosen by God and your destination is heaven, then one of the things that holiness demands of you is your love for one another. Peter's going to explain verses 22 to 25 that Christian love springs to life from our new birth. And then we're going to see in chapter 2 that Christian love leads us to a hatred of sin that's replaced with a hunger for the truth. In verse 22, Peter describes our salvation with the concept of your soul being, being purified. And he's alluding to Jeremiah chapter 6, where, where God offers rest for your souls. And it's this beautiful passage, and he talks about the way that God has created. He shows them the way. God says, look, it's been announced. I'm, I'm showing you the way here, but, but the people reject it. And they say, we will not walk in it. And when it's announced, we will not listen. Is that refusal? Not the epitome of arrogance that God would say, look, let me show you the way, and this is how we do it, and people say, no, no, I, I've got it, God. Isn't that the, the epitome of arrogance? And, and, and Jeremiah looks at this, and he says, this is wrong. This is, this is, this is horrible that, that the people would reject the way that God has given to them, to reject the way that God has declared. And then Jesus, picking up on that passage, he later on says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, using the terminology that Jeremiah used, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And then Peter picks up on that concept, and he describes our salvation in terms of this event in which we, we purified our souls by obedience. Now, that seem a little bit off to you guys? It's not how we usually think about salvation taking place. That, that we have purified our souls by our obedience. Usually we kind of guard ourselves against that kind of language, don't we? Because we want to be really clear that salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, not by works. And yet Peter says here that you have been purified by your obedience to the truth. Now this verse has created some conversation, as you can imagine. And a lot of people have misused this text because all through the scriptures, God has made it clear that we're justified by grace, not by works. This is God's way. And so in what way are we purified by obedience? And that's part of the question we need to ask ourselves here. I, I found that people have explained this verse in three main ways. The first explanation is, is what we would call false doctrine and heresy. And so you don't want to go this direction, right? 
Some will point you to verse 22 and say, see, salvation is not by grace alone. Salvation is something that Jesus did for you, but then you have to, you have to finish it. He only gets you part way. And so you have to say your prayers and go to church and go to Awana and you have to do all these things. And, and then if your obedience follows what Jesus, then that will get you to heaven. You see, heresy, thank you, somebody said it. They would say Jesus has died for you, but you have to complete what he started with your obedience. And, and friends, this is heresy. Can we agree on that? Salvation is not by works. You cannot purify yourself from your sins apart from Jesus' perfect sacrifice any more than you can raise yourself from the dead. We cannot justify ourselves by our works. So we're going to reject that view of this verse. There's a second way how I've noticed many well-intentioned Christians have approached this verse. I think it's kind of the go-to. You see, they they see obedience here, and, and when we see obedience connected to salvation, where does our mind usually go? What's that? Okay, we go to the Ten Commandments, yeah. And, and are we doing that to save ourselves? But why do we obey Christ? Out of our gratitude, out of you know, what he's done for us. We love him because, uh, because he first loved us. And so we see obedience and we think of the Christian walk and the Ten Commandments and, and all of God's instruction in Scripture. And, and we, we want to obey, we should obey. Uh, it's certainly true that we have been enabled to walk in obedience because he's given us new life. But, but I think that's still not what Peter's point is here in this text. There's a third explanation, and I believe it's this, and I think this is what Peter's doing here. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, and he paid the full price that satisfied the wrath of God. And, and we know that we are saved by God's grace, and we are saved by his grace alone. It is a free gift, and so all men are commanded to find rest by believing in Jesus Christ, who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus himself gave a command back in that passage in Matthew we just looked at, when he said, come unto me. Is that a command that we must obey? Yeah, we have to obey that. And so there is obedience there. But you see, if, I, if, I, um, if you say to yourself, I, I'm going to find my own way like the people in Jeremiah's day do, and you say, I, I'm a pretty good person. I, I'm certainly not as bad as some of those other sinners. Then I say to you, you have not obeyed God's commandment to believe in the one way that he has made. Your disobedience leads to destruction. On Monday, we, we drove up to Effigy Mounds for that last beautiful day of this marvelous autumn. And we hiked up to Eagle Point, and we had this great conversation with a couple there. And... Uh, we talked about life, we talked about church, we talked about salvation, uh, we talked about Christianity and Buddhism and, and how there are various moral codes that different religions have put in place that God has written on all of our hearts and so that's reflected in the world's religions that, that there are morals that we should pursue. And, and I've heard it asked before, who are we to say, who are we to say that God will judge someone else? Isn't their way as good as ours? God, God's a forgiving God. And, and my friends, it's that misunderstanding, that, that misunderstands the goodness of the gospel. The good news is not that we can earn heaven by following any set of rules, whether there's five principles or, or ten commandments or 600. 
no matter how many commandments your religion puts in place, I guarantee you will break them. You cannot obey them, even man's rules. The good news is that Jesus died for our sins, and we must obey only one command, the command to believe in him. And that's what Peter's talking about here. That we would obey by responding in faith to what Jesus has already accomplished. I was listening to a sermon on this verse by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's amazing the quality of uh, microphones they had 100 years ago. It was a beautiful sermon. And as he was preaching on this verse, he said this. He says, what leads to perdition and to hell is just this refusal to listen and to believe and to obey God's word in the gospel. Did you realize that as you listen to this gospel, as you may listen to it Sunday by Sunday, and just allow it to come in and to go out and have not submitted to it and obeyed it, do you realize that that's the thing that is going to confront you in eternity? Not what you've done, but what you haven't done. Not so much your deeds, but that you haven't obeyed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, is your, if your faith rests in anything besides Jesus, then you are still under condemnation. You are still walking in disobedience in, in all of your good deeds and all the morals that you pursue in this life. All of that is nothing if you have not pursued Jesus Christ by responding in faith to what he did on the cross. Obey the good news by believing in Jesus Christ. That is my prayer for you. Right here where you're sitting, right now, that you would respond, Lord, I believe that you would respond to your sin and, and choose Christ and what he did for you. Obey the good news by believing in Jesus Christ and thus enjoy the purification of your soul that Peter talks about here. Come to Jesus as the only way, and he has promised to give you rest. Verse 21, immediately before this, describes the obedience of those who are believers in God, who, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And, and we're told here that, that for those who believe, uh, we have experienced the purification of our souls and the effects of that purification and the rest that Jesus has promised persist into the present and into the future. But Peter notes one of the purposes for this purification that comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. He says, Christian, you, you see, you've been cleansed for a sincere brotherly love. God saved you so that you can demonstrate love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this love is on display for the whole world to see, and they will know that we are Christians by our love. Culture has a tendency to redefine things, doesn't it? Ever notice that? It takes words that we find in the Bible, biblical words, and it cheapens them so that they no longer mean what the Bible means. Pastor Stephen Cole has noted how two of these terms are, are here in this passage. The, the idea of being born again and, and love. The modern 
media has stolen Jesus' teaching about new birth and they've cheapened it to describe someone who makes a comeback or gets a fresh start or a car company that's, you know, hey, look at our new birth. It's not what Jesus was talking about when he talked to Nicodemus, is it? And love has been cheapened to describe anything that our hearts are, are drawn to. I love baseball. I mean, the Rangers are in the World Series. I, right now, I really love baseball. And the Cardinals aren't there. I love it even more for that. Where's Todd? I love pizza. I love my cat. I love snow. I love my... <laughs> I love my wife. As long as she acts in a certain way. You, you see, and, and that's, no, I'm not saying that for me. Hope I'm not saying that. I'm in trouble now. You see, our, our culture has redefined love to describe what makes me feel good rather than an unconditional giving of myself for someone else. It's all about me expecting what I can get from them. That's how our culture sees it. And so I'm drawn to it. I want it. And so therefore I love it. And that's not the biblical definition of love. And Peter tells us here, you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ who loved you and purified you through your obedience to God's gospel. But it, it was not merely so that you can have a ticket into eternity. It was not merely so that you can just kind of live life as you please. He purified you with the intention that you demonstrate brotherly love today. And, and then he describes it as, as sincere a sincere brotherly love. Well, what's that mean? Um, you'll, um, this word comes from a Greek word that you might recognize. Uh, hypocrites. Hip hypocrites. Sound familiar? It's where we get the word hypocrite from. A and this word sincere means without hypocrisy. Our, our love for one another is to be sincere. We live in a day where we, um, we want likes on Facebook. And we give hearts and love on social media. People compete for how many followers they have. A, a person gets millions of hearts today and then they get canceled tomorrow. What, what a cheap definition of love. Our love for one another needs not to be manipulative. It's not purposed in personal gain. And it doesn't gush when I'm in front of you only to scorn you after your back is turned. This is what we're called to, therefore. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And, and that right there is the heart of this entire passage. All the way to chapter 2, verse 3. This commandment that we would love one another. We've been called to this love. Therefore, love one another sincerely. Peter says, you know, look, you, you have been purified for this purpose. This is one of the purposes that, that's, that's lived out in our, our, our pursuit of holiness. And so go all out in it. And Paul changes the word right here in the middle of the passage. He says, you are called for brotherly love. That's the word we get Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. 
And so there's this concept of brotherly love. You've been called to this brotherly love towards one another. And so therefore, cherish one another. And he uses the word agape, agapao. In fact, I wonder if Peter had in mind, as he changes the words right here in the middle of the passage, I wonder if his mind might have gone to that day on the beach that morning when Jesus asked him, Peter, do you agape me? And what did Peter say? You remember? Lord, you know. That's right, Connie. You know I fill a belt here a year. Is that what Jesus asked him? Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know that I phileo you, Philadelphia love you, a brotherly love. And then a third time, what did Jesus ask him? Peter, do you Philadelphia me? Do you have a, a brotherly love for me, a love between friends? And, and it crushed Peter the third time because the third time Jesus asked him. Now three times, what happened just a few days earlier? Denied him three times. And so that third time he says, Lord, you know that, I, oh, you know all things. You don't just know it up here, but you've experienced it. You know that I, I can't tell you right now that I agape you. And so I wonder if Peter's mind is going to that. But what Peter does is he reverses it here. We've been called to Philadelphia. We've been called to brotherly love. So agape one another. Go all out in your love for him and for one another. He both uses both of these words, teaching Peter, uh, which Jesus taught Peter an important lesson about his love. And he reverses those in, in order to tell us, look, go all out. And on top of that, he uses the word earnestly earnestly love one another and it's a it's a sports term that implies intense strain it's the full stretch you're you're running the the one mile sprint and you get to that end of it what do you do push doug would tell his team leave it all on the field boys or something like that right zach is that what he said something like it okay i don't want to quote him if he didn't say leave it all on the field Hold nothing back. That's the idea behind this word earnestly. Peter tells us that we were purified for loving one another, so earnestly love one another from a pure heart. Now, for whom does your heart cause you to waver from this command? Who is it? that you hear a command like this and you kind of pass over them? Who is it that sits across from you today that you've been commanded to love and yet your soul says, what they said still hurts? Or perhaps in your heart you say, you know, we don't interpret that passage the same way and it frustrates me. I have to love them? They're caucusing for who on January 15th? Why can't he make his kid act more proper? Our minds go in places. And that's not the commandment, is it? Love them if they first act this way. Love a person if they do this for you. Love your wife if she submits properly. Love your husband if he's a good leader. That's, that's not the commandment. Love one another earnestly a pure heart you've been purified for this and so let's leave it all on the field 
And then verse 23, Peter returns to what enables you to live out this kind of love for one another. You've been born again. What, is, what does that mean, to be born again? Remember the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus back in John chapter 3? You, you better remember it. You just taught on this, didn't you? Yeah. He says, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what, what does Nicodemus have to do? He has to be born again. And the teacher of the law, this old man who had been teaching Israel for years, what does he say? What? Yeah. Can a man re-enter his mother's womb and be born a second time? He, you know, he doesn't get what Peter's, Jesus is talking about. He says, what do you mean I have to be born again? And, and Jesus says, look, no, 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 Nicodemus. He, the first time, flesh is born of flesh, but, but the second birth is a spiritual birth. Just like you are dependent on someone else to give birth to you the first time, you are dependent on, on someone else for your second birth. You can't make yourself more alive. You can't be born by yourself because you say, hey, I choose to be born. Any, did any of you do that? No one here? Did anybody say, hey, I, I want to be born today? And your mom said, okay, cool. Doesn't work that way. And in the same way, your second birth comes from God. You're only responsive obedience is your faith in him because of what he did for you but you are completely dependent on him your second birth to everlasting life came through god's word in the gospel and in verses 24 and 25 he quotes from isaiah chapter 40 where god sends a message of comfort to his people a, a message about god's way and a herald of good news within that um in, in Isaiah 40, I, Isaiah crawl, calls out and he says, he says, well, what, sh what should I say? What do I call out? And, and in Isaiah 40, he says, say all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The stuff of this earth, my friends, it's going to pass away. You were born a first time and you're born to flesh, and it's corruptible. You're going to die. But your second birth is from something that is incorruptible. God's word has gone out, and my friends, the word of the Lord remains forever. And by implication, those who have obeyed this gospel will also live forever, because we are born to an incorruptible seed, God's word. And this is the good news that was preached to you, Peter says. Therefore, love one another earnestly. Love springs to life from new birth. Now, we've spent most of our time considering the basis on which we've been called and empowered to love as God has called us to. But Peter gives us some specific application in the first three verses of chapter 2. And that's why we, we don't want to just cut off the application from the teaching, right? You know, that... that it's, it's horrible when you preach a sermon or you teach a Sunday school lesson and, and you get to, here's what it means. Okay, let's close in prayer. Let's go home. But how, do I, how do I live that out? How do I apply this? Now, Peter's going to be really good. And he's just going to give us a list of things. That, you know, how do we apply what he's been talking about at the end of chapter 1? The first three verses go with that. First, notice that verse 1 begins with the word so. And again, we've been talking about how it's important. I, I want you to start taking notice of these connecting words. Circle them if you need to. Uh, 
in your own personal Bible study, ask yourself, what, what are those words there for? Whether it's the word therefore, or so, or however. Verses 1 through 3 shows us some of the implications of this command to love one another. If I'm going to love my brother or sister in Christ and do so earnestly, sincerely, then this leads first to a hatred of sin. And Peter draws out five particular sins that are notorious for creating a wedge between you. And these are to be put away. If you're an athlete, what does it mean to put something away? That's bad for me. I'm not going to eat that. And so I'm going to eat this instead. Or, or maybe you're, you're wearing a sweatshirt and it's 80 degrees out. What do you need to do? You need to put it away. It's just extra weight. It's going to weigh you down and slow you down in the race. If in Colossians and Ephesians, the phrase is used of removing something filthy so that you can put on something clean. Instead, you put away the soiled garments. You get rid of them. In Matthew, he uses the same word, and it's even used of throwing someone into prison, like King Herod threw John the Baptist into the dungeon. All these contexts give you the idea. Whether you are getting rid of something that makes you stumble, you are taking off what is filthy, or you are tossing something into the deepest dungeon, we are called to live out our holiness in a way that we rid ourselves from these sins. Specifically, he calls them out. The first one is malice. This means a mean-spirited or vicious attitude. Malice as a desire to hurt someone else. Deceit indicates taking advantage through craft and underhanded methods. It, it is to proceed with deliberate dishonesty. Put it away. Put it away. Hypocrisy has no place in our relationships. It has no place in our sanctification. It has no place in our pursuit of holiness, in our conduct. It's that same word, the opposite of sincerity that we saw earlier. It means to create a public impression that is at odds with your real purpose and your motivation. Saying one thing, doing another. Put it away. Envy. Some of your translations might say jealousy. It means to resent the advantage or the good that belongs to somebody else. Whether it's something that they worked at and achieved by personal um, accomplishments or whether it's just something that God gave them as a blessing. Slander. The act of speaking ill of another. Seeking to harm a person's reputation. And, and notice that each one of those, we put it all away. There's, there's no room for me to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to stop doing that, but I'm going to hold on to this little area right here. Nobody will really notice this, this small bit of deceit. I, I've, I've gotten rid of most of it. Put, it. put it all away. Envy, slander, hypocrisy, malice, deceit. Loving one another means that, that it's all cast aside, not just the most hurtful parts of it. However, the implications of our command to love one another are, are further expressed in verses 2 to 3. If you remove soiled garments, you need to replace it with something that's pure. Put something clean on. If you're an athlete and you're putting aside junk food, one must replace it with that which promotes strength and health. And in the same way, brotherly love 
leads not only to the hatred of sin, but it also promotes a hunger for truth. And here we discover a a metaphor for our growth in the Christian life. And and God compares all of us to nursing infants. And, and, And he draws our attention to the desire for milk. Uh, and does a baby normally need to be talked into eating? Uh, they're usually waking you up, right? I, I, I'm hungry, now feed me. I desire something, I, I'm longing for it. And they let you know about it. When an infant is offered a meal, do they say, uh, you know, have you checked the, you know, what, what, how much, what, is there enough vitamin C in this? Uh, are they thinking through all the logistics of it and, and, and want to know the, the details? Do they neglect any opportunity for this pure milk? No. They crave it. They cry out to their mother. They long for it. And it's that longing that a young infant wants that, that's the picture of what we are supposed to, how we are supposed to long for the truth, to long for God's word in our Christian life. Over in a, another passage in Hebrews, the writer discusses milk and solid meat, but, he, but he's making an altogether different point. So don't, don't try to connect these two passages together. They're just illustrations that are being used in two different passages. In, in this text, Peter's pointing out here that all of us, no, no matter how far you've matured in your Christian walk, all of us should long for spiritual milk. Just like a newborn infant longs for milk. It should be your desire. To know the truth. In both the context of verses 24 through 25 and the Greek word that Peter uses here for spiritual lead us back to this idea that we should be craving the truth of God's word. And the command to love one another, it ought to lead us to rid ourselves of the things that create wedges between brothers in Christ. But at the same time, it is also, it ought to create in us a desire that truth, a desire for the truth that brings about spiritual growth in all of us, whether it's the truth of the good news in the gospel and we, that we need to continue to repeat to ourselves, lest we neglect it, lest we miscommunicate it, or whether it's the truth of God's word that we find in Jesus Christ and in his word, the scripture. And then finally, Peter concludes by alluding to Psalm 34, which I read part of earlier, where David said, he said, oh, taste and see that Yahweh, the Lord, is good. He's good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Is that not the message of following Christ in obedience, that obedience of faith, that I have taken refuge in him? The only way, the truth, and the life, the one who died on the cross for my sins, I responded in faith to what he has done for me. I believe him. Have you experienced God's goodness? Have you tasted? Have you enjoyed the blessing that comes because you've taken refuge in him? Because you've found in him true rest, just like he promised in Matthew chapter 11? His burden is indeed light. My friends, we have seen that the Lord is good. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have tasted it. And therefore, we have experienced the purification of our souls that came through obedience, the obedience of faith. And therefore, we have been called 
to love one another and go all in. Therefore, we have been called to put away sin, which drives us apart, and we have been called to crave truth, which brings us together. In closing, I, I want to leave you with three questions. Number one, have you been born again? I'm, I'm not talking about the American, uh, American Christianity phrase that, you know, this this emotional experience i was five years old i asked jesus into my heart i have no idea what that meant but there was a picture on a wall right uh, dale that's jesus in my heart i i don't know what that means but i had this experience or or maybe i i walked down an aisle when the pastor said i need to respond to something i didn't really hear what he was talking about that day but i did something my friends that's a work i raised my hand i said a prayer if your faith is not in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for you, a sinner who is in, lost and, and in desperate need of salvation, then your rest is in something else other than Jesus Christ. My friend, new life comes by obeying only one command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who bore the penalty of your sin on the cross. And if you're resting in anything else, whether your good deeds or your shining personality, then you have continued to choose a heavy burden and your disobedience has kept you from the life that Jesus offers to you in this very moment. And my friend, right now where you're sitting, if you have never been born again, if you have never responded to Jesus Christ's gift to you on the cross, then right now where you're sitting, you can respond in faith as you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus Christ in that one obedient act of faith. I believe. I believe what Jesus did for me, and my rest is no longer in anything that I do. It is in Jesus Christ alone. Obey the gospel and believe in him. Number two, what is hindering you from loving your brother or sister in the Lord? For too long, we've held on to the things that keep us from wholeheartedly sincerely and genuinely loving one another. Too many excuses, too many justifications. Maybe that brotherly love that you're called to show is somebody in your own household, your wife, your husband, your parent, your child, your grandparent. Too many excuses, whether they're petty or serious are holding us back from fulfilling one of the greatest purposes for your purification. And number three, what are the sins that you need to put away today? You need to cast it aside. It's a conscience, conscious choice sometimes, isn't it? To recognize I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I've been purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and this is in my life still. And I've been holding on to it. And maybe it's one of these five wedges that Peter lists here. Maybe it's something else that he's convicted, the Holy Spirit's convicted you of this morning. Cast it aside. Make the intentional choice. And I'm done with this. I'm going to pursue Jesus Christ and the holiness that I've been called to as I walk with him. Put it away. 
And as you put it away, make sure that you replace it with something else, and that something else is the truth of God's Word. What are the sins that you need to put away today, and how will you intentionally crave the pure spiritual milk of God's truth? Just like a newborn baby longs for it, how will you pursue it, desire it? And it may be at first that it doesn't come so naturally. You're reading God's Word, and, and it hard to focus, hard to pay attention because you're out of practice. And at first, you, you may need to work diligently at it, but whatever you do, develop this hunger for God's Word in your life. This truth that He has given to you. It's a gift. Pursue it. Desire it. My friends, let's love one another. There's a story of the Apostle John when he was uh, quite aged. We know that he lived until he was probably sometime in his late 80s or 90s. The man had been boiled alive and survived. He had been exiled on Patmos. And there's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's reflective of one of the passages we see in, in one of his epistles, that he got up to preach one day and his whole sermon was one sentence long. Little children love one another. That was the sermon. Maybe that was the main point, and he expounded on it more. I don't know. But little children, let us not miss the message of our text today. Let us not miss one of the great purposes for why he's called you to faith, to grace. As we learn to live out the, the conduct of this holiness within the scope, and as we are rooted in, in our our hope, our blessed hope that Jesus Christ is going to return. Let us love one another sincerely with a pure heart. Our gracious God, we, um, we have all sat through sermons about your love. We've all sat through sermons about loving one another and, and we live in this culture that just has cheapened it. It was a revolutionary concept when you said it. And, and we recognize the goodness of it, and our culture has recognized the goodness of this love, but we've made it into so many other things. We've made it into liking something that I desire. And Father, we know that love is so much greater than that this brotherly love, this agape love. You called us to it, and so, Father, I pray that you would enable us by your grace to fully live this out. Help us to see those areas in our lives, in our walk, in our relationships where there are wedges that have come between us. Help us to see where we are not craving the truth. And I pray that you would enable us as we do these things to love one another sincerely for your glory and to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.